I'd like for you to turn to two places in the New Testament. Luke chapter 10 and John chapter 4. Luke 10 and John 4. I assume these verses are familiar to all of you. They should be. They've been read many times and they've been experienced by a lot of people many times. But let's read it and listen to it this morning as a message to our church and to all of you that are here this morning as something that is not only on God's heart, if we could say it that way, but something that should be on our heart much more so than it is. Verse 1, after these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers unto his harvest. I want you to note a couple of things here about this. It was Jesus who pointed out to his disciples, which would not have probably even thought like this. It was Jesus who pointed out and said, look around you at all the mass of humanity that needs to be saved. They really aren't. The fields are white unto harvest. You pray, while maybe you won't go, or maybe you can't go, maybe you can't be sent because of your obligations at home, you're a mother, or you're tied down to business, or maybe you feel like you're too old to go or something, but one thing everybody can do is pray. He said, you pray that God would send laborers into his harvest. Now, a laborer is not a tourist. A laborer is not somebody who says, oh, let's try that. That sounds fun. A laborer is not a tour group that goes to some poor country to feel bad about how poor everybody is. But a laborer is one who attaches himself to a task and works at it until the work is done. Not everybody is a laborer, but God sends laborers into his harvest, or he said they are ready now unto harvest. I don't know how often we think about how many people in the world are lost. How many people in this world don't know that Jesus died because of the problem of sin so that the sin problem can be solved and a man can come to God. I don't know how many people know that or aware of that. As I shared before, one of the things I felt in Israel, kind of an oppressive thought, was I'm in a land that God chose for his land. I'm around the very people that he chose to be his people, the Jews, back then. And they were a nation that came out of a nation. They were in Egypt as slaves, and he brought nobodies out of some place. And by mighty signs and wonders and miracles, he made them his people, put them in the land that he gave them, and said, it's his land. Established in that land a place, he said, is his place. That's Jerusalem, the city of God. It's his city. And yet when I was there, as I begin to look at all these people with all their history and all their culture and all their background and, and rich in all of its ancient history. And I thought, how can these people today ever deal with their sins? 
How can they ever be released from sins? All sin. It was a Jew who wrote, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no man righteous, not even one. And these Jewish people, because of a veil over their face, they have rejected Christ as their Messiah. They were looking for a Messiah who would break the Roman rule and make them the mighty nation on the earth and lead them and they would conquer the world, I guess. But he came like a lamb. And he was a lamb who was led to slaughter. And they were so disappointed in him. We esteemed him, as Isaiah said, we esteemed him as stricken and smitten of God. I mean, he was obviously an imposter. He said he was God, but he died. I mean, God can't die. How could God die? Well, God can't die. Man can die, but God can't. He was both man and God. But anyway, I look at these folks and I say, now, your history, and maybe even in your Torah, you know, your traditions and, and all of that, maybe you think that just because you're Jewish people that your sins, no, that couldn't work. Because the law was given to these people specifically. And the law says specifically that all men are sinners and that if you want to be released from a sin or have your sin covered over and continue in some favor with God, you have to go to a priest, take an offering, something between you and God, something that is innocent and pure and clean without flaw and has to be between you and God and its life must be given on account of your sins so that you can continue to have some favor with God. So there must be a sacrifice, there must be a priest, and there must be a temple where they can do this. And there was nothing of the sort in Israel today. There is no temple. There are no priests. There are no sacrifices. Then how then can any of these people be saved? Only as God opens their eyes. Only as somebody... Somebody writes something, somebody speaks something, somebody confronts somebody and begins to tell them the story about the Messiah, about Jesus. That's the only hope for salvation any of those people have. But let's say this, not only the Jews, but any Gentile that lives anywhere in the world, the same scenario was true. They may have religious ideas and modernized Christian ideas, but the only way anybody can be saved is with the message of the gospel. There's not a thing you can do. You can't do works. You can't join a church and be there long enough. You can't preach sermons. This isn't what saves me, what I'm doing. I'm not saved because I've been doing this for years. There is no goodness, no inherent goodness in just preaching. There is no inherent goodness in anybody. We're saved because we believe. But what we believe is very specific and very defined. It's Jesus Christ, his life and what he did. And when you believe and God from above births you into his kingdom, your life changes. The evidence that you're saved is everything changes. Now, folks, this is the message of the gospel. We're all lost, but we can be saved. It's not easy, but it can be. Somebody has to send this message out to lost people to declare unto them that the bonds are broken, the chains are broken, the doors of heaven have been opened to you. God can now receive you because of what Jesus did. You say, well, not everybody's going to believe that. 
We'll turn to John 4 now, in verse 34. He didn't say everybody would believe this, but he did say this about his message and his gospel. My title of the message this morning is The Mission Fields of the World, because that's what he would call them, the fields that are white unto harvest. Verse 34 of John 4, Jesus saith unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. It's not to do anything else. It's not to be rich, famous, successful, only this. It's to do the will of God. Now, let me ask you a question before we go on. Is the same thing true with us? Or was this something for somebody else and not for us? Is our purpose for being on this earth, is it to do the will of God? Now, that's a big question. And everybody ought to wrestle with it or at least deal with it because you've got to come to the conclusion that it is. I am not here to do anything else but do the will of God. In doing the will of God, didn't Jesus say, he that doeth the will of God is my mother, my brother, my sisters? Did he not say that our minds are to be renewed so that we can know what the will of God is? It's the supreme thing to know. Because once you know what the will of God is, there is only one pursuit in your life that's right, and that's in the pursuit of God's will. Now, we all know that God has various vocations and directions for all of us in coming to the place he wants us. God has some who will be interpreters, people like those who go into countries and jungles and learn a language and then write that language in the books and teach them how to read that so they can be saved. So they can learn the lesson about Jesus. So they can learn the story. Everything is for that purpose. Some of us may be engineers or painters or housewives, but in that you learn what the will of God is in your life and that's what you do, whatever you're doing. Some folks say, well, you serve God full-time, you're a preacher. You serve God full-time when you're saved. If you're a painter, you're a Christian painter. You're serving God as a Christian painter. If you're a builder, you're serving God as a Christian builder full-time. You're in full-time service to God. His will for you is while you're doing that, to study about him, learn about him, share the gospel about him, live according to what he said. That's your goal in life. Now, this is how men are saved. This is why God saves people to inform them that the highest call in your life is not to make yourself something, but to surrender yourself to him so that he can take you and do with you whatever he wants to. He will bless your skills to do this. God has people to do that. He'll bless your skills to do this. He has people to do that. He'll bless you to do whatever he wants you to do. But all of us together have one common goal, the will of God. Now, go on in John 4 and verse 34 again. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say ye not, there are yet four months and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth, that is, he that goes into the harvest, he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal. Wow. This is what it's all about. 
that he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. Herein is that saying true, one soweth, another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men have labored and you have entered into their labors. That's what he does. Those who have gone before me, they sowed the seed. Well, I'm saying me as if I was doing this. Those who have gone before me have laid a foundation. I come along and added to it, and then you'll come along and finish it. The one that gets all the glory is Jesus, who equipped us all, anointed us all to do whatever each one of us did. And he'll get all the glory for it. And as for us, we say unto God, we have no boast, we have no claim to heroic efforts, for we are still unprofitable servants. We have only done what was required of us. And we could not have done that unless God had drawn us into the place where he caused us to want to do that, and then he sent us to do that, and by his grace and power, he did that through us, and we have to draw back and say, I did nothing. I was simply the vessel that God used. I was willing to go, and he sent me, but he did all the work. All glory goes to God. Now, we'll finish with that today. But here's the message. Here's the message that God has, and this is his desire. The psalmist wrote this in Psalm 67, too, that thy way may be known upon earth, thy saving health among all nations. Now, that's the way that God wants it to be, that thy way may be known upon all the earth, thy saving health among all the nations. This is the message of God. The world is lost, busy trying to make itself worse, trying to make its religion rule the world, whether you're a terrorist of some religious pursuit of whether you're living in America with no religion, of whether you're living with the Jews who have history, but they can't get released from their sins. At least I don't know how they can. And every day when they die, it's over. And here we are, if we ever get the picture, if it ever happens to us and we get the picture and we begin to see the hopelessness and the despair of the inhabitants of this earth, who in these last days don't even know who Jesus is. They've heard of him, but they're not interested in it because he is an obstacle in their adventurous life. And there's this drawing back, and you know, I, I don't know. I, or we justify rejecting Christ because look at all these so-called Christians. You know, they lie, cheat, and steal, run around on their wife, they drink and party and corrals. You know, that, there must not be anything to it. And so he's rejected because of testimonies. But there are those people, in spite of all of that, look at all of this and wonder. I wonder if Jesus looked at it that way. He looked at all the enormous people in his own country who had no idea where they're going in life. They had no clue as to if you die, what do you think happens next? If you die right now, where will you be in a minute? What will happen? You don't know? Don't you think you should? Isn't that a big deal? And yet people are wandering around aimless wanderings. Party to party, drugs to drugs, sexual escapade to sexual escapade, foolishness this way, foolishness that way, dumb this, dumb that, looking for something adventurous in life. And they don't know that they're dying. 
They're lost. They are not saved. And they're dying. And when the doctor tells them that they're dying, they all turn to some religious something. They don't know anything about his saving health. They have rejected it. They turned away from it. And the worst judgment and sentence a living man can ever know in this life is for God to give him up to his sins. Because you no longer care. I have a little book in my office I've had for years, and it's kind of ragtagged about voices from the edge of eternity. It's experiences, stories about people who at the point of death, what they did. The saints smiled and had good things to say, and some of the famous artists, philosophers, wicked men in this world that were admired by the world when they died, it was screaming. A dreadful end to their life because they slipped into a chamber they cannot get out of. There's no release from. For the one who had the keys, they rejected. For our sake, these things are written so the Holy Spirit can take a moment like today and just get us still for a little while and say, are you aware of what he saw and what he thought when he said, pray that laborers will go forth? What's going to happen to all these people? No, we can't save all of them. But what's going to happen to all these people who are dying daily by the bunches without Christ? When you watch your old cowboy movies and they shoot them up and shoot them down and they're all dying without Christ, they're going to hell. There's something that suddenly becomes less than interesting about that. It's kind of sad. It is oppressive to know that people are dying without Christ. But somebody's not telling them. Now, we're busy. We're in America, the land of the free and the home of the brave. At least we used to be before it turned pink. But we're in the land of the free. I take it back. In the land of the free and the home of the brave. We've got everything that people in this world want. Everybody wants what we've got or to blow it up. And we're so busy trying to become and do and everything. We go to church because that, that looks good on our repertoire and we, our resume. And one day we look around and it happens to all of us. There's a little something somewhere in your life that's empty. The void's not being filled. I've experienced it. And I think it's probably that we're not looking much further than where we live. And you begin to look out at the world. You begin to see lost people. These people are dying. The good old boys are dying. They're perishing. They're good old boys. And when they die, the good old preacher will say about the good old boys all the good old things that the good old boys did, and there wasn't a single thing that a good old boy did that could ever save him. He went to church every Sunday, and he was a good provider. That doesn't save you. And he was good to people, and he was kind and gentle. That doesn't save you. Can you tell me about his new birth when his life was transformed in a moment and God turned him around and lived an entirely different life than you used to know him to live? Can you tell me that? He said, the fields are white unto harvest and God's desire is his way be known upon all the earth. The psalmist said, declare his glory among the heathens, his wonders among all people. That's what he said for us to do, to declare his glory and his wonders among all the people. That means that we have to be familiar with them ourselves. 
Is there glory in your life? Or was it just the day you got born again? Is there anything that is kind of like a daily refreshing, something that makes you every day glad you're alive? That you kind of wake up with thanksgiving on your mind. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you for a good night's sleep. Thank you for a wonderful day. Thank you for my home, my family, my wife, my kids, or my job. Thank you, Lord, for my skills. Is there anything that makes us enter each day with thanksgiving? Just simply aware of God that, you know, I'm here because you called me here, and I'm really glad I'm here because now I'm beginning to experience all these things you're doing. The wonder of it all. And there's a world out there that's in a box. And to hear you talk like that, they look at you like, what? You're glad? You're happy? Why are you smiling all the time? What, 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 what? Didn't the Bible said, be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you? Amen. The world doesn't see that. That's why Jesus said that the work he does in us makes our lives like a light, a shining light, like a city. On a hill, everybody can see it. And they wonder about it because nobody's got that. And they see you with that, and they're usually drawn to you like Nicodemus was to Jesus and say, what's going on? What's going on? Or like a man I knew years ago named J.E. Hayes. A bunch of us were getting filled with the Spirit. We were speaking in tongues. Did you get that? That was just the evidence to the beginning. And then life was just exciting. Just, it seemed like there was something added every, you know. And one day, J.E. came up and he said, I want to know what's going on. Well, I knew what he was talking about, but I acted like I didn't. And I said, what are you, what are you talking about? You know what I'm talking about. All this amening. Y'all happy all the time and laughing, talking to each other, just giggling all the time? Because he was a very unhappy man. He was just one of the church folks. Holy, holy. His mouth doesn't look holy. <laughs> said, J.E., you really want to know? Yeah. You have to go with us to Louisville Thursday night. We took him over there to the Assembly of God. Turned him loose, and he came home talking in tongues, giggling himself. <laughs> Somebody told him. He saw the life. The neighbor sees your life. The people you work with see your life. They see the difference in you and everybody else that doesn't have it. And they begin to wonder about it because God directs their attention to your life. You are now a little missionary. You don't even know it. Your mission field is a guy across the street. The people you work with. The kids at school. If you've got the courage. If you see what I'm talking about. And you live the life. You say what you need to say. Somebody will come up to you like Nicodemus. They don't want anybody to see them with you, but they come up at lunchtime. Hey, can I talk to you a minute? Yeah. What's going on in your life? Why are you so excited? Because they notice something about you. They only notice it. Others don't notice it. But this one notices because this one particular person, God directs his attention towards you. You're God's representative. You're the one he sent to the earth to proclaim him. That's your mission. That's part of his will for your life. You're one of his little vocal mouthpieces. Not only do you train your children, but you're ready to train your neighbor. 
because you are God's representative on this earth. And this earth is like a field and it's full of lost people. And one day, in these last days, you're beginning to notice it. You begin to realize what's going to happen to all these people. You get up in the morning after you give thanks to God and you think, what's going to happen to all these people? These folks come back from a missionary trip where they saw people that for decades and generations have been trained as Catholics. And it's embedded in their thinking. And they want to be released from it. And you see the curse that comes on a nation that has no Christ. There's a hopeless despair about this, a continual mindset of poverty and sickness and yuck. And he sends somebody down there to proclaim a message. Light. Jesus. Or like with Klaus, you know, the light has come to defy you. Light. Jesus said in the last days, in Matthew 13, in the last days, he said, this gospel must first be published amongst all the nations. Published means heralded, spoken, preached, taught. This message of the kingdom was going to be taught, and everybody should hear it. Jesus said in Matthew, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Who? Well, he was looking at his apostles, and he was telling them initially, but this message was not only for them, and so nobody else does this now. Because this message is eternally recorded, it's forever settled in heaven. And he starts with them. He said, you go into all the world. Now, you don't want to, but I'm going to have the Romans come down here and destroy this temple so you're all not attached to a piece of land like you are. And I'm going to cause the diaspora or the dispersion of you people. And you're going to go all over the world and preach the gospel. You'll all die for it. They'll persecute you and cut your heads off. But you're going to preach this word all over the world, and I'm going to save people. Quit counting your life to be something so dear to you. You find your life, you lose it. You lose your life for my sake, you find it. You've been bought with a price. You don't belong to you anymore. You belong to me, he says. I should be able to do with you whatever I want to, but the way I do it is I teach, I train, and then I send you out. And when I send you out, I equip you to do what I want you to do. And when you do it, you have done the will of your Father. And this is the way it should work. You see, Spurgeon once said this. He said, if there be any one point which the Christian church ought to keep its fervor at a white heat, it is concerning missions. In other words, our role with others. Our obligation as Christians to others. If there be anything about which we cannot tolerate lukewarmness, it is a matter of sending the gospel to a dying world. The gospel. The gospel is good news. The gospel is this. I have good news for you folks. You may be lost in your sins, but Jesus has sent a Savior, and the sin question has been dealt with. How do you get out of your sins? You acknowledge that Jesus is the one who has redeemed you. You surrender your life to him, and you repent of your sins. Jesus said repentance must be preached in all the world. 
repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name in all nations. That's what we do. Somebody has to, and somebody will. Not everybody can, but I guarantee you that anybody, like from our assembly here, whoever goes, and there's going to be a lot of you, whoever goes, we're going with you. We're not going to follow you over there, but our money will go with you. Our prayers will go with you. We will hold you before the Lord while you're gone because we do want you to come back. And when you come back, we want to hear what you did. We can't go. We couldn't be there. But we're with you, as Paul said. I may not be with you in the flesh, but I'm with you in the spirit. And so I want to be a part of it, even though I'm not physically there. I want to be a part of it. Now, here's how it works. Here's how this whole thing works. This business of the world, missions, and us. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans 10 and verse 14 and 15. Somebody has to go. Do we just say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to select, let me see. Uh, let me get uh, you and uh, you and uh, you and you. Okay. And let me pick four or five of you. I want to send you all down to Haiti. Is that how you do it? Or does God do that? The Lord does that. Have you noticed in here he hasn't picked anybody or just everybody to go? He picks certain ones. And sometimes he may use us to encourage people to go because that's what God is saying to us. Romans chapter 10 and verse 14 and 15. How shall they then call upon him in whom they have not believed? Now, if you're saved, but call upon the Lord and you shall be saved. Verse 13, how can they call upon somebody they don't even believe in? They don't even know who he is. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Where do you get preachers? Where do preachers come from? Well, there's a little tree. No. Verse 15, and how shall they preach except they be sent? For it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Again, that's the gospel. It's by the preaching of the word. God has declared in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21, he said that by the foolishness of preaching, God has chosen to save the world. Jesus got a lot of people's attention when he came. When it was time for him to be declared to the world as the savior of the world, God introduced him to the world with signs and wonders. I mean, he could do things and folks would look at him and say, Whoa! And then he opened his mouth and they said, no man ever spoke like this. Now we would call that the anointing. That's the equipping of God. You can't learn that in some class. Okay, we're going to have our anointing class meets at four o'clock tonight. We're going to teach you how to be anointed. There's no such thing. That's like the prophets class. We're going to teach you how to prophesy. We're going to practice. 
used to hear back in the days of the so-called prophets in 89 and 90 and 91, last century. And the prophets would justify their false prophecies by saying, well, you know, most of it's right. And they have a school of prophets. And the school of the prophets were where the prophets got together to learn how to prophesy. Don't answer this. Have any of you ever practiced prophesying? Well, look at the floor. That's okay. Well, of course you probably have. You wonder what it was like. I need a prophetic voice. <clears throat> Thus saith the Lord. <clears throat> Thus saith the Lord. No, <laughs> Man, um... Thus saith the Lord, I have this day called thee, and thou shalt. Um. You say, no, I can't do that. There's no us in prophecy. <laughs> well, there could be. Remember, God uses human beings. But the content will be right on target. But I don't know how you practice prophecy. You ever practice healing? Come here, boy, let me try you out. You lay down, you ain't got no face. Sit down, give me somebody else. No. You can't practice any of the gifts of the Spirit. They are as he wills. So is the anointing. The anointing comes at particular times for particular reasons. Even in the Old Testament, the guy that built all the temple equipment, the Bible said he was filled with the Spirit, which is like us saying he was momentarily come upon by the power of the Spirit to do something specific. Because the anointing does that. When the anointing comes, Samson could knock the walls down, kill lions. It's the anointing that breaks all the yokes. And God caused this anointing to come upon Jesus and knock the walls of the people's attention down, and they begin to look at him. And then he began to declare the gospel of life. Would you have loved to have been on the road to Emmaus when these two men were returning from the crucifixion, walking down the road together, and Jesus comes along and says, I didn't know who he was. What are y'all talking about? <laughs> you must be a stranger. You haven't heard what happened? And, you know, and we thought, and it didn't turn out that way. And the Bible said Jesus began at the beginning and showed how all the scriptures talked about him. How that Jesus brought out of the pages of Scripture himself. For he said in John chapter 9, said, you search the Scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. Well, they testify of me. Because I am eternal life. You don't see it. But see, our mission, folks, we're here to learn about these things. Because God's going to take people like us who have willing to go this far. He's going to teach us and equip us with words and understanding. That's why we do study. That's why we do wrestle with what does this mean. And this is why he does cause us to engage him like this. Because he wants us to be the ones that are equipped with knowledge and understanding to go out and begin to share the gospel. How are they going to believe in somebody they haven't heard of? And how are they going to hear about him unless somebody is sent? And how is somebody going to be sent unless they're anointed? This is the only way it works. There's no school that teaches you to do this. There's no class you attend that equips you for this. You don't graduate from some school and now you're qualified to do this. It's with a foolishness of preaching. And who does he use to preach? 
Eloquent people? <laughs> eloquent? I doubt that. In fact, to me, the more you try to be eloquent, the worse you get. He uses ordinary human beings like us who are willing to be what you are, not what somebody else was. That night, my wife came home. We came home from Bible study. She said, I don't know who you were tonight, but I like you better. <laughs> I found out in those days, and I learned that if you listen to somebody's sermon two or three times and you take notes on it and all that, you want to say it the same way you were moved by it, so you try to say it the same way, but you're not him, and you can't say it that way. But you try to, and folks go, who are you? So you realize, yes, God called me to do what I'm doing. He didn't call me because I had superior abilities or were able. He called me when I stuttered, insecure, wanted to quit. I hid under a bush once so nobody would find me. Oh, never strong, never was strong, never was strong. And here I stand after all these years, and I do honestly, before God look back and say, how did we make it this long? How have we stood this long? It seemed like for the last 30 years, every Bible study and little meeting I've ever heard of is gone. They're all gone. How have we stood? All of them were better than I am. As far as the preacher, they were all better. As far as abilities, they were all better. All of them were. How do we make it? I don't know. But we did. And we're still here. And we got a mission. It's not to see how bigger our church can get. That's the mission of a lot of people, the bigger church. Oh, they have their mission board, and they have their chart outside, of, you know, the little thermometer, how much more you need to send four more over somewhere, or all of that. That's nothing wrong with trying to help the world. I know that. But God wants it to come from your heart through the foolishness of preaching. It's common, ordinary people like you and me that go somewhere and just tell people what Jesus has taught you. Has he made you glad? Tell them why he made you glad. Has he given you peace and joy in life? Just tell them that. I have so much peace and joy. You say, well, they might not understand it. It's God who makes them understand it. It's the anointing that you have to count on that God moves across the people with to make them understand what you're saying. You're struggling, you're stepping on your tongue and you're stumbling on because you want some kind of a, man, I'm doing good and you're not doing good at all. In fact, you're flailing and flopping around and you're not keeping your thoughts up and yet God is informing people of something eternal. He gets the glory. He used a flawed vessel. He used common folks. That same first Corinthians says not many mighty, not many great, not many big shots or all-stars or heroes. But you, you're what God uses. You're what God wants. You're the one he's teaching this hour, not the world. You're the ones he is enlightening about the truth. Don't sit here and waste it. Let it become the very fiber of your thinking. The very reason you're thankful in the mornings, in the evenings, in the afternoons. 
The very reason why you can say, I serve a risen Savior. Put a smile on your face. It won't offend God. I'm glad about this. I don't know why I'm hollering. But it's the time at the end in which the quickening work of God, this cutting, this quick work he's going to do is going to begin. We have heard the word a lot. We've had opportunities to. And God wants us to hold on to it. One more time in Romans 10, in verse 14, the last word is preacher. Preacher is cleruso, one who heralds forth, who speaks. And how shall they do this except what? They be sent, in verse 15. Now, I don't want to take up all the rest of my time this morning with this one word, but there are lots of people who go places who were not sent. Are y'all here? It's one thing for you to want to do something because it seemed like a good thing to do. God could be like that, but a lot of people want to go places and try things because others did and they had fun. I want to go too. But you will find when you come back, all you did was watch and you were not useful or used by the Lord. It's when you feel that stirring setting in here. Some of these young men gone out several times because you were sitting here in a complacent place with your life looking pretty comfortable in front of you. And maybe Brother Ashby came by and was talking about that. You, know, you went on a trip or you went once and you came back and you thought, my, my, the deplorable conditions I saw. These people are going to die like this. And then you hear a little voice says, what are you going to do? Well, what can I do? I can't do anything. Well, no, wait a minute. You can. Search the scriptures and learn about what those people need. What would you do if you could go one time and one time only? What would you speak about? What would you say? Well, I, I would tell them, I would, well, you would tell them the good news, wouldn't you? That Jesus Christ has come to save you. And not only has he come to save you, but to release you from all your bondages, to bring you deliverance, to bring healing in your body. You can be well. I've been well for so many years. I, I've got the experience in my life. You can be at peace. He gave me peace. And you begin to tell what you've got. Because you've got it the way they can get it. It's not because you're an American I remember when I was in India once, they said, well, how could this work over here? I said, I told them, three preachers, I said, it doesn't matter where you live concerning the gospel. The gospel works for whoever believes it, wherever they are. It works. It works because it was given the anointing to do that. The anointing, the power is in the words. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for the gospel is the Power of God unto salvation. Romans 1.16. This is what we declare. Not only the saving ways of God, but the power of God to save, to forgive you, and to take you deep in the roots of poverty and religious foolishness and drag you out of that miry clay and to set your brand new feet up on a brand new rock and make all things new for you. You'll still live where you do, but your life, even in a dark country, begins to turn around and change. That's why Jesus said, make disciples out of these people. Don't let them go back. 
Stay with them. You go sow. Somebody's going to come behind you, and they're going to add to it. Somebody's going to and you're going to keep on until these people finally get this, and they start rising up. Then they can do it themselves, and you can get out of there. Just get out and let them do it. You have to be set. It is God who sends. Would you turn to Luke again, chapter 9 and chapter 10? Let me show you what Jesus did in Luke 9 and 10. You see, anyone can go preach. Anyone can go preach. But it's those who are sent alone. They are effective. They are the ones that get the job done. Churches send missionaries every year on missionary journeys. And the very best thing they can proclaim when they come back, the very best thing in my experience that they can proclaim is that they gave these people something. They went down and sang songs and they gave them a few things and clothes and food and we made them happy and really I feel better about myself. But Jesus said go preach, didn't he? There's nothing wrong with doing good things for people. A number of you men remember that tedious time you went down to, was Guatemala? And built that school, an addition on that school, and painted, that was hard work. But that was a labor of love. That was a demonstration of something. But when it becomes a missionary field and you're going in there for one specific reason to preach, it's okay to do a lot of good things. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. But in the last days, what I'm talking about, the fields are white unto harvest. Harvest is different. A harvest means that you've got to get this into these people because the reaper is coming. The end is coming. Death is coming on these people. Get them saved. You can't save them. Only God can save them. But let me use you. You go with the message, and I'll save the ones I want to. And so that's what we do. And here's how it works. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 1. Now, we begin with Luke 10 and verse 1 where he sent other 70. Well, before he sent 70, he sent 12. Look at verse 1. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases, and he sent them to preach the gospel and to heal the sick. Now, notice three things I want to point out here about how this works, about the missionary thing. Then he called. He called. He called. Nobody else can do this but him. He's the one that makes the call. Many of you sitting here haven't felt such a call, an urging, an urgency, an urging or a, a moving in this direction. But some of you have. He called the 12 disciples together and notice and gave, that's the anointing. Only he can do this and gave them power and authority over devils and to cure diseases. And then he sent them. Whom he calls, he equips. Who he equips, he sins. That's the gospel way of doing things. And what he sent them to do was to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, not take medicine to them, not take hospitals to but to preach the gospel and to heal the sick. Amen. That's the whole gospel. That's the whole counsel of God. In chapter 10, we looked at it a moment ago. Verse 1, after these things the Lord appointed, there's a call, and he sent, and then obviously he would send them to do the same thing. 
Now, they went out like our brothers here just recently went out. They went out and preached. They went out and did whatever was on their heart to do. Nobody's an expert here because God doesn't call you because you're an expert. He just calls you to go. God's the expert, okay? He's the one who can make it happen. All you have to do is be there because he uses people and he uses words. That's his way. It pleased God that through the foolishness of preaching, who preaches? We do. Now, why would God want to have to use flawed man and man's halting speech? Because that's the way he does it. This is how it works. In Acts 14, we're going to experience this Wednesday night. This is going to happen. Listen to these words. When these men came back in Luke 10, verse 17, and the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us in thy name. Were they happy? Were they excited? Of course they were. They came back, and all this anointing and all of this equipping worked. It was so necessary for it to work that powerful in the beginning. If they had gotten discouraged then, they might not have ever gone back. Remember, these were fishermen and tax collectors and laborers. These apostles, they were just like you guys. They're no different than us sitting right here today. Ordinary human beings. Just like Elisha, didn't James say he was a man of like passion as we are? Same flaws, same feelings as us, but just a normal, everyday human being. And that's who God used. You're the ones he's looking for. It isn't in some big fancy church or some big fancy seminary where we can't afford to go, and it takes too much time to do that. I can't afford to take it. He's looking for people that he can use. People the world would bypass anyway. Well, yeah, I guess you can use them. They got no ambition in life. They don't. They don't. Maybe we've turned all of our ambitions and hopes and dreams over to the Lord. My hope rests in Jesus Christ, and I hope when it's over, he can say to me, well done, thou good and faithful uh, uh, servant, server. I hope he can say, you are a server of me instead of a user of me, a claimer of my promises. You were a server. I want to use you. And then he goes on. I was going to quote Acts 14, 27. In the book of Acts, it says, And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. Did you know that in the early church, when these men were sent out, it was pretty dramatic. The Holy Ghost said, Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul and Levi and Caleb and Paul and Isaac and whoever you are. I may not have heard that, but they did. And they said, I believe God wants me to do this. How do you know? I don't know, but I believe. It's faith. Are you willing? Yes. It's going to cost you some money. You know that. I understand. I know there's something you got to deal with here. I know that. It's not the church's place to buy everybody's tickets. You know that. If you want to go, it's between you and God. He'll have to supply your need. It won't be our fault if you don't go. And if you do go, it'll be because of God. We'll probably help you out. We don't have to, but we probably will because we want to see you have your needs met because you're going to miss a lot of work and so forth. But God knows that too. You believe that's the Lord? In that early church, they prayed for him and they fasted. 
and they sent them out. And these men, they went out and they did this. And in Acts 14, they came back. The whole church came together and said, let's get the whole church together. Our brothers have come back from their journey and we want to hear about it. They were up in what was called Turkey today and they come back down there in Asia Minor. The whole church came together to hear. We will Wednesday night. It's not a trivial thing. It's not just a little light. Well, you know, they went down to some little country and gave them some beans and rice and came back. No, it's not like that at all. So in closing this morning, let me say this. Those that are sent, there are four or five things I want to leave you with this morning. They have to be familiar with the kingdom of God. You're not ready to go if you don't know the gospel. Study. Isn't it still in the Bible somewhere that says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman who needeth not to be ashamed? There has to be compassion. You can stay where you are if you want to, but let me read Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35. And Jesus went about the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every manner of sick. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on him because they fainted and so forth. He cared. Jesus was just there in the land. I was there once. Everywhere he went, he walked. Or he rode that little donkey or whatever they did. They hit a little crowd around the Sea of Galilee, most of it. All the history around the Sea of Galilee and the curses, Capernaum and, and others. And then he would walk way down there to Jerusalem, stop at Nain to raise a, a dead boy back to life. He would walk down there and he'd walk way down here to there and he'd walk way over to there. Always going, always, as he said, I'll go where my father sends me. I speak what my father tells me. Always telling us that this is the way a man ought to live. Should we not follow any steps? Always involved in what the will of the Lord is. That's what he came to do. Came to do the will of his father. He was familiar with his people. He was moved with compassion. And he was a laborer and a toiler. Jesus was. Many days he would, at night, after a busy day, he would go up in a mountain apart and pray all night and come down the next morning. A multitude was waiting for him, and he'd go again. He'd stop somewhere to get something to eat, and here he would deal with some woman he didn't even eat. He said, I have meat to eat that you've never heard of. And these guys that wondered about him said, how can you be driven with such passion for God? Because he was God. He was not only doing the will of God, but in laying a foundation for everybody who would follow him as a patterned son. This is the kind of man I want. This is the kind of human being I want. I want you to follow in his steps. I want you to care the way he cared. I want you to have his faith and his love and his peace and his joy. All these are fruits of his spirit, his spirit. I want the same fruits in your life because he's in your life. And then I want you to proclaim a whole story about him. If you want to be a missionary or you want to go on a mission trip, if you want to declare something to other people with your body and your mouth in this life to begin again, number one, you must decide. You must decide what you will believe. You must decide. What will I believe? 
because you will impart to who you're preaching to what you believe. If you're liberal, you'll have everybody draw the line early and you'll draw back and make excuses for why you didn't go forward. If you're a fanatic, you set the word aside altogether and you go by the feelings and the movements and the dreams and the visions. If you're dead in the letter, then you set aside all the power of the Holy Spirit and just quote the Bible. But if you're equipped by the Holy Spirit, you put it all together in one package and God makes you, when he sends you, the kind of person he wants you to be because you know what you believe. Second thing you do is to desire. You desire to live a clean life. You desire for your testimony to be above reproach. You desire that in all things and in all ways you demonstrate that you're the kind of person that God wants you to be doing the very thing that God wants you to do. You're not drawing back. You're not for sale. You're not quitting. You're not giving in. Listen to this. If a man therefore will purge himself. Now listen. If you want to go, if you want to be one of these, and God will probably mention it to all of us, especially you young folks. If any man will purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and useful for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Useful and prepared when? When you purge yourself, you got a desire to be clean. You don't just add a journey to your life. You want to be clean so that you're qualified, so that God can use you. You get the clutter out. Thirdly, you depend on the Lord. You don't go there thinking, I already know what to say. Oh, I know enough. These poor people don't know anything. I can just say about anything. No, you go there depending on the Holy Spirit, the anointing. A young man told me once, it came back from a missionary journey, been a bunch of you through the years. He said, man, I was asked to speak one night, and I didn't want to. I wasn't ready for that. And Brother Ashby said, so-and-so, you go with him, and you preach over there tonight. And this fellow said, preach? No, 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 y- y- y'all going, and we're going over here. And then, then we're gone. And he said this terrible feeling of, you know, standing up there in front of these people that he didn't know and didn't know their language and He said, you know, I opened my mouth, and I had something to say, and while I was about to finish that, I had something else to say. And before I knew it, he said, I was out there. My face was red, I guess. I was declaring. He said, then people came forward, and he said, I laid hands on one, and it fell down. I thought, what in the world? What's wrong with this? Somebody, Somebody come get this lady. What's wrong with her? What's wrong with these folks are all falling down? I said, don't ever practice. Don't ever try to make it work. Just assume that the only thing you can do is say one thing. Well, okay, two, three things, four things. And if there's any more that God wants to add to it, it's his work. You just count on God. I'll lay hands. I'll pray for you. There used to be a time that people would come forward and pray. You'd go, and then 
because that's what I'd seen others do, you know, at a big meeting. Uh, try to wiggle just a little bit. Now, this is called a show in the flesh because you're trying to think maybe if I do all of this, God will hammer them. You know what I finally learned? When they say, will you pray for me? I sure will. In Jesus' name, receive what you're looking for. I can't add and I refuse to add anything to that. Because words you add to anything doesn't work. The only words that work are the anointed words. And if there's no anointing, then for that person, nothing's going to happen. And I don't go home disappointed. Lord, they did nothing. That's his work, folks. Amen? And finally, fourthly, defer. Decide, desire, depend on God, and defer. They all start with a D. Defer means that when it's over and God used you, Give the glory to Jesus. Give the glory to Jesus. You don't need to boast. You don't need to tell how good you were. You just need to say that as we spoke the word, God, we praise the Lord for his good works. I won't get myself out of the picture as having anything to do with any of this. I was merely there and I was willing to be there, but it was God who did the work. Don't write a book on me. I don't need a special tape. I don't need to be a, a keynote speaker at next month's convention. I was nothing more than a human being at a place God sent me where God was pleased to do the works he did. The saved people, the healed people, the fed people, the thankful people, and I will tell them, it's all God. Acts 3, oh, Jupiter and this other God have come down to us. Whoa! Paul said, why you look on us as though we but some power of our own have done this? God has glorified his son, Jesus. Then in a few verses after that, they stoned him. And he got up from the stoning. Now, stoning is death. You're dead. Brain dead. Until there's a mass of just body. And God rose Paul back up out of all of that and went back in the city and spent the night. Now that'll get somebody's attention. And whoever threw the biggest rock will go, that's like O'Hare thought, this is John the Baptist come back from the dead. Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Folks, just give the glory to Jesus. Let me close with this one last thing. One thing everybody can do, not all of us will ever go and do any of this, except across the street or across the aisle. But one thing we can all do is pray. Pray that God will send. He won't send anybody. He won't send everybody, but he will send somebody. Pray that God will send your sons and your daughters. Pray that God will take your sons in the midst of their greatest spectacular moment in life, that he would take your sons and equip them to go into a place in the world that nobody cares about, and they may never come out of there. They may be where they die, but that he'll use your son for his glory, because you'll see him again in heaven. 
Well, I don't know about that. Well, then you need to pray a while about yourself. Another quote. Spurgeon said, you will never make a missionary of the person who does no good at home. He that will not serve the Lord in the Sunday school at home will not win the children to Christ in China. It's going to have to start here, and it's going to have to go to your house. And it's there that God's going to raise you up. And we'll know it. And we'll be glad to do our part in sending you out and in some way go with you. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we are grateful today. We're extremely grateful today, Lord, for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your kindness that you've shown to us. You have blessed us all these years. You've kept us together. You've taught us. There have been some dry days and there have been some juicy days, Lord. You've been good to us. We've walked with a group and we've somewhat walked alone, but you've kept us. And we are reminded this morning that there is outside of these doors a world full of lost people. And we are the only ones on earth, the only source they have, the only ones are Christians to tell them about Jesus because nobody else will. We're the only ones. Put that fire in our hearts, O oh Lord. Fire in our bones. As Jeremiah said, I cannot but preach this gospel. And use us to your glory. Stir us up, O oh God, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. see you on the desert out on the burning sand the hebrew brings his sacrifice a bound innocent lamb the guiltless for the guilty sin takes its ugly toe with sorrow Yet with thanks I see the blood begin to flow. Oh, the blood. The fountain of your grace from above. My sins erased, I am amazed. You could show such love, Jesus. I thank you for the life is in the blood. Then I see you in the garden beneath the olive trees. Redemption in the balance as you battle on your knees thy will be done father those precious words resound with sorrow yet with thanks i see your blood spill to the ground oh the blood The fountain of your grace 
from above my sins erased I'm amazed you could show such love Jesus I thank you for the life is in the blood then I see you Your bruised and battered body, the punishment due me. The guiltless for the guilty, that sin might not abound. With sorrow, yet with thanks I see your blood spill to the ground. Oh, the blood, the fountain of your grace from above. My sins erased, I'm amazed. You could show such love, Jesus, I thank you. For the life is in the blood Oh Jesus, I thank you That the life is in your blood